The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We're going to be talking primarily about missions today. This is what this passage is about. It's about Paul sending Timothy and Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And in doing that, he describes these two men as men that they should emulate their lives. But also he describes to us what kind of people we would send on mission for the gospel. Philippians chapter chapter 2, beginning verse 19. Just listen to these words that Paul writes to them. Now remember, Epaphras was sent by the church of Philippi to be a help to Paul while he's in prison. That'd be quite an assignment, wouldn't it? To be sent somewhere to take care of someone who is in prison for the gospel, and you go there to help them and aid them and, and take care of them. Um, and then Timothy, of course, is, was one of Paul's primary companions. He's the one who Paul discipled, and um, he is, is a companion that's traveled with him for the gospel. Uh, he actually met uh, Timothy on his second missionary journey, and Timothy then became one of his partners in the gospel and went everywhere he went. And so listen to these words. Paul says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. In other words, I'm sending Timothy so that he can come to you, bring greetings to you, and then come back and tell me how you're doing. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not of those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that is Timothy's proven worth, that he served with me in furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things are going to go with me. In other words, Paul is going to eventually die in prison. He's going to be beheaded, but not at this imprisonment. It's going to be the next one. This is the second imprisonment. There's going to be a third in which he is going to be beheaded by Nero. And so he wants to find out what the situation is before he sends Timothy to them. Then he says in verse 24, And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. In other words, he's believing that he's going to be released and continue the work of the gospel, which he was. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. In other words, I'm going to send Timothy shortly, but I've already sent Epaphroditus, who is from Philippi, and that they sent him to Paul to minister to him. He says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, that is for the gospel, who is also your messenger. The word messenger there is apostle. Your apostle. That's all the word. That's what the word apostle means. It means someone who's been sent with a message to deliver. And so he says, he's your messenger, your apostle that you sent to me and minister to my need because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. In other words, they had heard he was very sick, nearly sick unto death, and they were worried about him. And so he wanted to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians now that he's well, so they could see him and be refreshed by him. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. 
and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because of his character. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. That's the same expression that Paul uses in in Colossians about filling up the sufferings of Christ. Missionaries. Uh, and Paul, I think, answers by simply giving this travelogue of, of Timothy and Epaphroditus. He gives us, he answers the question, who do we send and why do we send them? You know, this church, over a 10-year period, we gave over a half a million dollars to missions back in about the middle of our life a few years back. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience to see God bless this church to help people all over the world doing the work of the gospel. And so he's going to tell us by describing these two men what kind of men and women we want to send and support as they take the gospel to the rest of the world. Think about this. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He says in 1 John 2, he's a propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He says in Revelation chapter 5 that he has redeemed people out of every tribe and tongue and group on the people group on the face of the earth. So wherever you go in the world, there are going to be people there that God is going to save. And so there have been missionaries sent all over this world because we want to see the gospel reach those who've never heard it. And so this is what he says, the kind of people, men and women, that we want to send and support. First of all, they're men and women of kindred spirit. You see that? He's of kindred spirit. This is a very rare word. It's a rare adjective. It means having the same kind of soul. It's more than just having a common theology. It's not just that he has, holds the same theology as I do, but rather his, his Spirit is controlled by the gospel. His heart is controlled by the gospel, just like Paul's was. And so this is what Paul says. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, the love of Christ controls me, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and all died in order that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for God, for Christ who was raised from the dead. And so he is saying that, that Timothy has the same kind of heart that he does. He's controlled by the same affections. So sending Timothy, Paul is saying, is like me coming to you myself because he has the same heart as I do. And notice how it's manifested there in that verse. He has a genuine concern for your welfare. It's a very strong word. It means he's worried about you. He's concerned about you. Your needs touch his heart, and he wants to minister to you. So it emphasizes the pressure or weight of anxiety that grows out of real concern for their welfare in the gospel. And then secondly, he says, it'll be men and women who have been set free from self-interest. Now, you know, we hear a lot about spiritual deliverance. You hear this all over, if you watch much Christian TV, you'll hear all the time about spiritual deliverance. Let me tell you, this is a great example of true spiritual deliverance, being delivered or set free from self-interest. 
See, that's, that's almost like a definition of the flesh. That's what the flesh is, is self-interest. It's me looking out for myself rather than others. It's me being more concerned about my needs being met than anything else. And he says, we are to send those who have been set free from self-interest. And then men and women who have been tested and approved. He says, Timothy has proven worth. That word means he's been tested and tried and he has been de- it's been demonstrated that he's a man of honor that we can trust. He's a man who does the right thing. These men must also be first be tested, Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.10. He's talking about deacons. They must first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? And he says, this is the kind of people that you send out. You know, most of you know the Bogues, or you know of them, Heidi and Jesse. Uh, They are here in California right now. They're going to be for six months in Fresno. The reason the mission has sent them there is this is very common, that you go out on the mission field for a year and a half, and you are weary and tired, and you can get very confused I remember going to a missions conference once, and the primary thing that they taught the missionaries was conflict resolution because they said it was so common for them on the mission field because of the stress to find themselves at each other's throats. Almost sounds like home in the local church, doesn't it? In Luke chapter 16, Verse 10, Luke wrote, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And Jesus says, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, and you are in authority over ten cities. He's giving a parable there. But the point is this. We have to prove our faithfulness over the small things. That's where we develop this character that makes us fit to do the work of the gospel. In Paul's day, it was expected that a son would learn the trade of his father. That was just the common thing. And Jesus uses this analogy all the time, this metaphor. He said, I only do what I see the father doing. That's the way a young man would be about his father teaching him his trade. Remember, Jesus' father, his earthly father, was a carpenter. His heavenly father was God the father. And he was continually saying, I only do what I see the father doing. And so his attitude towards people was just like his father's. And Timothy had learned all that he could from the Apostle Paul. And now he was serving as a soldier of the gospel because he had been trained by the Apostle Paul. He was selfless. He wasn't looking out for his own needs, but the needs of others. And his commitment to the gospel. Notice it says in the, he's proven worthy in the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel's going out. Do you know how many people in the world today have never heard the gospel? It's a lot bigger than you think. It's amazing. I'm not going to give you the number because I don't know what it is, but it's huge. The the people who have never heard the gospel. What what the world mission movement's trying to do is to get missionaries in places so that every group of people on the face of the earth will have access to the gospel access to the gospel. That is, there's someone close enough to them that they can hear the gospel. I mean, think of this. Someone who is born in a place where no one knows the gospel and growing up without ever hearing about the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus. And so 
he wants to further the gospel. And he says, Timothy is fit to do that. Now, when he talks about Epaphroditus, it reveals our purpose in sending and supporting missionaries. What do we want them to be doing? Well, first of all, we want them to be a brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier with other believers. As I said, one of the biggest problems on the mission field is for missionaries to have such stress and tension that it becomes hard for them to stay at the task because just living, just dealing with the pressures of every day is tough. But he says, we want to send those like Epaphroditus who are a brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier in the gospel. And we want, us to, we want to send him to be our messenger, our apostle, the one who takes the message of the gospel and gives it to those who've never heard it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of talking to somebody about the gospel who'd never heard it before. There are plenty of people around that have never heard or considered the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really, before you start thinking about where does God want to send me, you might ought to say, where am I? And who do I know? Who is in my path that's never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so he says, we want to send people like Epaphroditus who are an apostle. They go to bring the message to those who've never heard it. And then to be our minister to them. Um, That is, we send people out so that they can minister to those that we can't reach, that we are too, they're too far away from us. They're out of our sight, out of our reach. And so we send people to those people groups. And guess what he says? The word minister here is the word for priest. And this is what he's, what he's saying. They do priestly service. And what he's implying is meeting my needs. You sent Epaphroditus to me and he meets my needs. And it's a priestly function. He's offering this up as a sacrifice to God. And God is pleased. So anytime we have the opportunity to minister to missionaries, for example, when they come home for a rest, like Jesse and Heidi are right now, and their four children, to be able to encourage them and help them is priestly ministry. That's what he says. It's like offering up an offering to God and simply serving those who are willing to go and take the gospel to those who've never heard. And so it's, so what we, he says, in fact, Paul says, what he brought to me from you was a sacrifice. That is something to be offered up to God. In Romans 12, we're told, remember, present your, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, functioning like a priest. What can you offer God? Well, where you start is you offer him your body. That means that you say he has full rights over me. If he wants to send me to the other side of the world, he's my, I am his servant and I'll go where he wants me to go. I'll go there with the gospel. Now, it's interesting. He says, uh, Paul says he risked his life. And the word he uses for that's translated risked his life is, uh, is to throw dice. It's to be reckless. So he was reckless. He was willing to, I mean, think of this, going to Rome and being in a situation where Paul is imprisoned. He has guards with him, two guards every day. 
The closest thing I've ever seen to that is a picture that came from uh, Uganda when Janae was there. And uh, some, they sent a picture of her dressing the feet of a prisoner in one of the prisons there. She was down on her knees dressing his feet. She had taken a course on missionary medicine. And so she, w- she could uh, function like sort of like a brush doctor. She could go into these places and offer care. And there she was in a prison with a prisoner kneeling down and caring for his feet. You see, that's humble service. And so this idea of risking his life meant to daringly expose oneself to danger. In other words, he wasn't a coward. He was a courageous person. He was willing to take enormous risks. He was, he was willing to do what people thought was reckless in order to accomplish the purpose of God and the gospel going out. But there's subtle play on words here. Epaphroditus is probably related to the, word, the, the name Aphrodite, which is Venus. And um, Aphrodite was, uh, when those who were followers who worshipped her, uh, when they... When they cried out some something in, you know in in exaltation of, of Venus or Aphrodite, they would call out Ephroditus, and that's his name. Now he was born in a pagan culture, but Christ redeemed him and gave him life, and he was a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And he wasn't calling out to Venus anymore, Aphrodite. He was calling out to the living Christ. He wasn't depending on gambler's luck. He was depending upon the mighty hand of God. You know that passage in 1 Peter where it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. What he's talking about there are the the sufferings you go through in order to obey God. I know this sounds like a foreign language to us. I understand that. But this is the typical description of the word of God for believers When they go out with the gospel, they are risking their lives. And he gambled his life. And he didn't didn't contemplate that as something that he had to guard and be careful of. He was willing to lay down his life for the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what will convince you of that? It's having your heart so filled with the glory of Christ that you can't contain it. And you have to tell it. And you take great delight in finding someone who's never heard the gospel and telling them about it. Telling them about the glory of Christ. This person who saved you. And this was what Epaphroditus had done. And this is almost an identical phrase as that which is found when he says here, uh, he did this to complete what was deficient in your service to me. In other words, the Philippians owed their spiritual life to Paul because he took the gospel there. He's the one who went to Philippi and took the gospel. And he says, Epaphroditus is here to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Same expression that I just read out of Colossians 1.24. When Paul says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, which is the church. How in the world is Paul fill up the sufferings of Christ. Well, not by adding any worth to them. That's not the point at all. What's lacking? 
this, this work of Christ has infinite value. But the infinite value cannot be experienced unless someone goes and takes the message of what Christ has done. And people turn to him in faith. And what's lacking is the suffering it's going to take to take the gospel to the world. That's what's lacking. And that's why Paul says, I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I'm willing to go and lay down my life. And you know about the life of Paul, how many times he was, in, he was endangered. He was, he was in a situation where he easily could have died. But he continued to take the gospel out to new territory. Because he wanted to fill up what was lacking. What's lacking is simply the message getting to them. You know, Jesus died for our sins, but we weren't saved in eternity past. We were saved when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're saved. Do you know what I mean by that? It's, it's only as you believe the gospel that you experience the benefits of the gospel. And you have to hear the gospel. And so in what he's saying here, the sense in which the service of the Philippians to Paul is lacking is, is in that sense, is what Epaphroditus filled up what was lacking in their service. They weren't with him. They were in Philippi, and he was in Rome. But they sent someone to minister to him, a missionary, an apostle with the message. Listen to uh, Marvin Vincent, one of the commentators on the New Testament. He says, The gift to Paul was a gift of the church as a body. It was a sacrificial offering of love. What was lacking, for what Paul has been grateful, the church offering this person, this was impossible, and Paul represents Epaphroditus as supplying this lack of affection and zealous ministry. In other words, the church couldn't come, but they sent a missionary, they sent an apostle to go and minister to Paul's needs. And this is what we do when we send people out to do mission to take the gospel to the other parts of the world. They're going there to fulfill what we can't do. They go there to take the gospel to places we can't go. There's a story told by uh, J. Oswald Sanders. Listen to this. He told, he told this story over and over again throughout his ministry of an indigenous missionary who walked barefoot from village to village in India wanting to take the gospel. He had heard the gospel, he had believed the gospel, and now he wanted to take the gospel to others. He had all kinds of hardships. After a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a village and he tried to speak the gospel, but was driven out of town and rejected. So he went to the edge of the village, dejected, and he laid down under a tree and he slept because he was totally exhausted. He had walked a long way to get to these people, and now they totally rejected him. When he awoke, the people of the village were surrounding him. They were looking at him, observing him, hovering over him. The whole town had gathered around him to speak. And the, the leader of the village said, he explained to him that they came out to look him over while he was sleeping to see what kind of a man he was. And when they saw his blistered feet, they concluded that he must be a holy man, that they had been evil to reject him, and they were sorry and they wanted to hear the gospel from him. This is why this man with blistered feet is such a great picture of Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely are the, on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says, your God reigns. When you take the gospel to somebody, 
You have beautiful feet. You know where that, that comes from. It was the, the runner in an army who would take the message back to their people how they were doing in a battle. And so when they would see him running, they could tell whether he was bringing good news or bad news. And so he, those who bring good news, he says, have beautiful feet. Well, this man had blistered feet, but he had brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to this little village, had never heard the gospel before in order to tell them about Christ. So that's what's lacking. The infinite value of Christ's afflictions are not known in all the world. It's still a mystery. It's hidden. They don't know about it. That is to most people in the world today. God's intention is that the mystery be revealed and extended to all the Gentiles of the world. That's what he had commanded his people to do. Matthew 28, 18, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So this is the great, great privilege of those who go out for the gospel. They go to take this glorious good news to people who've never heard it. And so, like Paul says, I fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Because I got to tell you, I think you can talk to anybody that's ever been on the mission field, and they'll tell you there's suffering. There is suffering entailed in going to take the gospel to another culture where people have not heard the gospel. And so this is why uh, it's so incredibly important that the gospel goes out and that we have these kinds of people that go out. In Mark chapter 835, it says, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, and the gospels, loses their life for my sake, Jesus says, and the gospel, they're saving their life. How is that? Because they're going to be resurrected. And they're going to stand before the living God and the living Christ for whom they went out to take the gospel. The pathway in salvation, of salvation, includes losing your life for the sake of the gospel. The Bible says it over and over again. And the the key to the Christian life isn't us us finding a nice, comfortable place to live around other Christians. It's actually being ready to go wherever God wants to send us, wherever he wants to take us. And this is how we fill up the afflictions of Christ. And so the point is that taking the gospel to people across the street, across the office, across the nation, across the ocean, it ordinarily requires suffering and sacrifice. If you, Some of you, I know a lot of you have been getting the the uh, emails from the Bogues who are in Mauritania. Mauritania, if you look on a map, it's up in the northwest coast of Africa, and it's the, it's the whole country is a part of the Sahara Desert. So typically, in the during the summertime there, the average temperature would be 120. I uh, I told you this story. I met. Uh, Jesse Bogue at a men's retreat. He looked like he was about 18 years old. He was actually 28. But he starts, he handed me a card, which was about his ministry. Had a picture of him and his wife and two little children. Now they have four. And I've confessed this to you before, but 
I, I can't believe I did this, but I tried to talk him out of going. I said, this is ridiculous for you to take these little children to a place where the temperature is 120 degrees every day. How are they going to survive? How will they survive? Oh, God, God is going to protect them. And that's what he's done for these months that they've been there. Now they have four children. And I, I'll never forget this because I realized after a little while, and I was really trying to talk him out of it. And then I realized what I was doing. That I, I just couldn't trust God the way he was trusting Dave. And I talked to his father-in-law, who was there at this, at this retreat. And they had these two little children, real small children. And I said, how do you feel about them going to Mauritania, to the Sahara Desert, and taking your grandchildren? And he said, I believe it's God's will. Well, he was just a farmer, so what did he know? But he said, uh, my daughter, since she's been five years old, since she was five, she wanted to be a missionary, and that has never left her. And she got a nursing degree. She's a registered nurse. And she did that so that she could do, go to the mission field and God could use her for the spread of the gospel. And so there they've been these, this year and a half. And it hasn't been easy. You've seen the pictures. This isn't, this isn't an easy life. They live right next door to a mosque. And so they're awakened by the announcements every morning and they hear everything that's going on over there. And of course, they think that's a great deal because that allows them to talk to a lot of people about Christ. Now, it's illegal for them to proselytize. And yet, they openly tell people about Jesus because they're like Epaphroditus. They just decided to lay down their lives for the spread of the gospel. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, what, what have we done? You know, I, I come to church every week. Unless I get a cold. And here they are living in the midst of this culture that is uh, at war with Christianity, and they're a lampstand. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it something how God uh, puts it in the hearts of people to lay down their life for the gospel? And it's the only thing worth doing that for. I, I, I need to tell you something. The reason, I know some of you get disappointed in me because I never, I don't care about political stuff. And the reason I don't is the gospel is just way too important it is way too important. And uh, I would witness to a Democrat or a Republican, a, a liberal or a conservative or anything in between, because that's what they need, isn't it? That's what they need. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is what we have been called to do. This is why Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, in Colossians 1. Because my suffering for your sake, to the Colossians, he's saying, I, had, I suffered in bringing the gospel to you, and I rejoice in them. Because I have the opportunity for God to allow me to suffer in order to bring the gospel to you. Where do you need to take the gospel? 
Good answer. <laughs> and where has he called you to go? Right where you're at. You know, it's a, it's a really easy to do to take a piece of paper and write down the names of 10 people that need Christ that you know and you have some kind of input in their life. And uh, if you were to lose a friend because you said, may I, I said this to a, a young man the other day, I said, may, could, would it be okay if I talked to you about Christ, about what I believe about Christ and the gospel? Because I, I had heard he did not want to hear it. And so he said, well, yeah, sure. And so that was my suffering. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? When you, when you, when you think about people who've, who've got themselves in situations where they've clearly displayed the fact they're willing to lay down their lives for the gospel of Christ, it's because of their love for Christ and their love for people. That's the thing that has to guide us in this, is the, our love for Christ and our love for people. So we want to send and support those who are answering this calling to live for the sake of the gospel and to do that through suffering. They're willing to suffer in order to do that. Christ chose suffering. It didn't just happen to him. He chose it. He uh, Remember he, in the garden when he said, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, that is this death that he was going to die and the abandonment of him by the Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me without me drinking it. And then he stops himself literally in mid-sentence and says, not my will be done, but your will. I don't think you're going to suffer in sharing the gospel here. You, you, might, get a, you might get an angry person or, or get somebody to tell you they're not interested. They'll hurt your feelings. But you're not going to bleed but there are people who go out and they're literally willing to give their lives. And that's how much we should value Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. And this is why he is, he is uh, commending Epaphroditus to his own church. Because he's a fellow laborer in the gospel. He's, he's laid down his life for the gospel. Joseph Tan, who's a, uh, a part of the Slavic gospel, he's the head of the Slavic gospel mission, this is what he says. Christ's cross was for propitiation. Ours is for propagation. What he means by our cross, your cross is not the fact that you've got uh, some sickness. That's not your cross. Your cross isn't because you have arthritis or, or you have some other kind of physical condition. Your cross is to bear the reproach of Christ as you live for him and witness for him. And that's just a part of the Christian life. We have a twofold challenge to fill up the afflictions of Christ by making the sufferings of Christ known to all the world, by joyfully paying the price necessary to do that, and then to send and support those who are willing to fill up what is deficient in our service. That's how he puts it. What's deficient in our service? Like, why didn't we, any of us, witness to people in Mauritania? And so... Heidi and Jeff, uh, Heidi and uh, Jesse, <laughs> Heidi and Jesse went in our place. And so they're bearing witness for us. We have, uh, we have missionaries in the Philippines, Nilo and Feli Sanchez, in South Africa, Mark and Debbie Christopher, 
in Uganda, Jim and Kathy Robinette, and then in Mauritania, Jesse and Heidi Bogue. You know, in the past, we've, we've been in existence for 20 years. In the past, you purchased a thousand Bibles for our brothers and sisters in in Cambodia. Those were hard to get. A thousand Bibles you purchased for workers over there who were preaching the gospel and planting churches. You helped build a, a house, a schoolhouse in Zana. You're not the only one who helped with it, but you helped with it. You helped send Miriam on mission. I don't know how many times did you go to Uganda. Do you know? Four times. And she kept taking more people with her. Um, you, you helped send over 50 of our people to go do mission work in some other country, short term. That's wonderful, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great to the next 10 years that we could send out more people? to take the gospel to people who can't hear unless someone goes and tells them. What a great privilege that is. And uh, yeah, you, you may suffer. And this is what Paul is saying. We're filling up the afflictions of Christ. We're willing to suffer to get the gospel, the good news of Christ suffering for our sins. You're not suffering for their sins. You're suffering for the glory of Christ when you take the gospel. But that's what he's called us to do. So be praying that God would give us wisdom in raising up missionaries and supporting missionaries, sending missionaries who have this kind of character and love for people and love for Christ and love for the gospel and this mindset that they'd be willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. Let's keep praying that God would do that. You have been such a generous people. You know, we uh, had a guest speaker here a few weeks ago, Dennis Apolentissima. I think that's right. And Dennis took a little church. He's pastoring $1,600 a month. They can pay him. And he's got a baby, a wife and a baby. And so I was really burdened about him. We gave him an honorarium. But then some of you just spontaneously gave gifts to him. And so I called him the other day and was talking to him because I wanted to take an offering for him sometime soon and maybe be able to help support him because it's pretty difficult to live with a wife and child for $1,600 a month. (laughs) Get this. He had to move. So they got a house, and they found out after they got the house they rented that's going to be closer to this work that it had a propane tank. They had to fill the propane tank. So they, not knowing it, didn't have a clue what it would cost. They just called the propane company, had them come out and fill it. Well, they couldn't believe how much it cost. But then his wife called him at work and said, guess what? We got a check today from some people at Calvary Community Church for the exact amount that the propane costs. The exact amount. That that makes the guy feel like God's taking care of him. And he is. You know, it's a a great privilege to support people. He would be a great home missionary. He's... He's, he's serving in a place that's going to be difficult, I know. And yet, he's willing to lay down his life for it. And so, it's, we have a wonderful privilege to be able to support those who are engaged in the work of the mission. We want to be missional, and we want to support people who are taking the gospel wherever they're taking it. We want to be supportive. 
So I just pray that God would give us wisdom and God would give us the resources we need to do that very thing. We're going to have VBS here in a couple of weeks, right? Is it a couple of weeks? And uh, so there's a bunch of kids in this, in this neighborhood that's going to be exposed to the gospel. Be praying for these teachers and the people involved that God would give them opportunity to share Christ and that some of these kids would come to faith in Christ. That's how my wife got saved in VBS. And that's how a lot of people get saved. Our Father, we bow our heads now and our hearts before you. We thank you that you did something supernatural. You brought the gospel to us at the very moment that we needed it so desperately. And we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we experienced salvation. And we've been walking with you ever since. We have been experiencing the glories of being a person who is in Christ. We have experienced the glories of walking with Christ and being blessed by your grace in our lives, Father. So please help us. Please help us, Father. Give us a big heart, a strong heart to help others as they do the work of the gospel, both here and around the world, we pray. Thank you so much for all these opportunities you've given us. Help us to buy up the opportunities because the days are evil and we want to be engaged in the true work of the gospel. So please help us, we pray, Father. Give us a heart, give us the strength, give us the resources we need to do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.